for listening to Redeemer Church of Denton's Sermon Audio. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit us online at RedeemerDenton.com. Well, it's a trap, right, to live for today or to live for the world. It, it, it's just this trap if we choose to live that way. We all have this difficult relationship with the material world and, and, with, pre- and with the present. For example, it's a good thing if you're a dad and like you're working to provide for your family and you know, have money for college and, and all these different savings. That, that, that's a good thing. But there can be another side to that, right? Like you can uh, work so hard at that and, and begin to worry about that or have fear about the future to the degree that you're not trusting the Lord. You can become overly concerned about it. You can, it can lead to a lack of faith in the Lord. It can actually lead to maybe a harshness on, on how you treat other people around you. It can lead to a lack of generosity. Maybe you're not that uh, middle-aged dad thinking about those things. Maybe you're a little bit younger and you're a young adult and you think, listen, you know, I'm a college student or I'm a young adult and, man, this is time to have fun in life. And, and, and let me tell you something, that's good and I'm with you. I, I think that's an awesome season of life and it should be a fun season of life. But, but even that, that can uh, be twisted if we take it to wrong places, right? Like that can also lead to a lot of college students or young adults to, to really live these sinful, licentious, wild lives, right? And, and listen, some young adults can struggle with being too serious, and, and sometimes, you know, with, with young adults in our church, we say, hey, like, fun is good. You, you remember that, right? But, but, but more often than not, young adults are, like, they're having so much fun, and they're just kind of living for the now. They're living maybe for the flesh and the fleshly desires. And what ends up happening, it becomes very soul-killing, right? They, they wake up, and they realize those things really don't satisfy. And they look at their soul, and they realize, listen, my soul is very shallow, And my soul is very selfish. So living only for today can be a trap. And living only for the world uh, can cause us to miss out on the more satisfying things of pondering and knowing and hoping in our glorious future. Mark 1.15 is important because, because it pulls our eyes up and out of the present world. And really that's my prayer for this series. My prayer is, is that, listen, the reality of it is, is we've been in a trial and we're still there, okay? These are dark days. And I know sometimes, you know, you know in, a, in a, like a, oh, an affluent area like North Texas, like, like we can complain about things and joke, okay, first world problems, okay? And, and, and a lot of our complaints are there. I know a lot of mine are there. But listen, this last 12 months has been hard. This last 12 months, there's just been some heavy, dark things that we've had to walk, to, walk through. And really, my prayer for these messages is, is to help uh, us view all those things in a very realistic way, but also a faithful way and a hopeful, thing, a hopeful way, because we need to view it through the lens of the future. Like, no matter what happens here and, in, and today, no matter if your pipes burst or not, you have a glorious future in Christ. And there's times where we need to pull our eyes up and out of the present reality and see those things because it, it changes the present for us. And in fact, that's how we can go through present trials in the most healthy and faithful way. That's the way we can persevere through those things is if we recognize that we're actually citizens of a kingdom that is to come. 
And that's what I want to talk about today is the kingdom. Last week we talked about paradise, and today we're going to talk about the kingdom. Let let me give maybe a point of context for Mark chapter 1, and then I want to make a comment on how maybe this passage relates to last week if you weren't with us. Number one, Mark 1, 15 is one of the best summaries of Jesus' ministry, specifically his teaching. So if you ever wonder, okay, what, what was Jesus really about? And we hear a lot, okay, Jesus was a, was a great teacher. I'm with you. Yeah, but what did he teach? Like, what was the, the summary, if you will, of what he taught about? Well, we're going to see today that he taught about the kingdom and, and how to live as citizens of the kingdom, even though, it's, even though it's not yet here. That's what Jesus' teaching was all about. Second, this passage actually relates to uh, the passage we looked at last week, which was Luke 23, and we looked at that story of Jesus on the cross, and he's got those two criminals next to him, and we categorize one as a, as a wicked sinner. This guy was wicked in the sense that he wasn't repentant of his sin. He was uh, uh, justly on that cross, and instead of submitting himself to Christ, he mocked Jesus. People still do that today, right, in their sin. But then the other guy was a sinner. He was also justly on that cross. But we saw that he was a repentant sinner. And so even in his sin, he humbled himself before Jesus. And he cried out to Jesus, if you remember in verse 42, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So there was some understanding of the kingdom that that man had. That that man had an Old Testament theology built out to where he connected the Messiah with the kingdom and he saw Jesus as the Messiah. And if Jesus is the Messiah, then that means there's some sort of kingdom coming. And so I want to be with you when you usher in your kingdom. He believed Jesus was the promised Messiah and therefore he was going to bring in this future kingdom. Okay, let's look at our verse. Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. Okay, here's the gospel of God, saying in verse 15, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The question we start with is, what is the kingdom of God, right? Okay, the kingdom of God is, again, the main theme of Jesus' teaching. Like, we're in this series in the equip uh, equip class on the Beatitudes, and Gary did a great job this morning, Look, I'm sorry, with the parables. Gary did a great job talking about one of the parables today. But if you think about the parables, if you think about the Beatitudes, you think about the whole Sermon on the Mount as a whole, it's really talking about this, this topic of the kingdom of God and how to live as a citizen in the kingdom of God. But what is the kingdom of God? I think the best way to understand it is that it's simply God's rule. It's God's rule or it's God's reign. Now, if you think about kingdoms, kingdoms are about a territory, but, but more important than the territory is the rule or the reign over that kingdom. Like, how, does, how do things operate within that kingdom? That, that's what's really more important. Like, I know Colorado's pretty and Florida's cool, but, like, what really makes America great is, like, our laws, right? Like, how we operate. Like, that's really the success of this place. It, it's about the rules and the, and, and, the, and the reign or how we operate. So if you think about it this way, a king over a kingdom If he says, listen, in my territory, I want everybody to pay taxes at this percentage. Well, what happens? Everybody pays taxes at that percentage. If he says, listen, I don't want any more capital punishment in my kingdom, what happens? There's no more capital punishment in his kingdom. So that's what's going on here. He's talking about Jesus is the king over this kingdom, and it's going to operate in the way that he wants it to operate. Therefore, in the kingdom of God, people live in a way that is according to God's rule or God's reign or God's ways or God's word. That's what marks the kingdom. It operates in the way that God wants it to operate. Now, let's ponder that for a second. Like, okay, what, it, what really makes that so glorious? 
Here's what makes it glorious is in God's kingdom, you see everyone worshiping God and following his ways. You see people doing that together. They come together in God's presence and they just enjoy God's presence together. Also, in God's kingdom, people treat people the way they're supposed to be treated. Like this sounds, you know, like a science fiction novel, but in God's kingdom, there's no such thing as divorce. Like that never happens in God's kingdom. Like, like in God's kingdom, uh, there, there's no more arguments. Lawyers, I'm sorry, but there's no more lawsuits in God's kingdom. Amen, anyone? Maybe a little too close to home. But that, those things don't happen there. There's not these disputes in, in broken relationships. Rather, it's marked by peace. It's marked by sharing. It's marked by encouraging words. It's mar- marked by soul-satisfying friendships. Laughter and singing fill the air in the kingdom. Some of the biblical images of the kingdom are just odd. Like, like some of the biblical in, uh, images, when you talk about this future glorious state, you see things like lions sleeping next to lambs. You see things like little babies playing with cobras. That doesn't happen in this world, but it happens in the kingdom. Now, now listen, when Jesus incarnated himself, as we saw with that criminal on the cross, there was this long-developed theology of the kingdom of God. Now listen, people write huge books on this. In the interest of time, let me just give you two passages that help us here. The first one is 2 Samuel 7, verse 13. And here's what God says to David about his son. He says, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne, the, the throne of his kingdom forever. So what God is doing there theologically is he's saying, Okay, listen, we're talking about Solomon and the temple, but there's more there. From David's line is going to be this king, and he's going to rule forever. So there's this Davidic king who's going to be on his throne for eternity. Okay, the second one, Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14 say this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was dominion and glory, a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So again, what Daniel is doing there is he's linking the kingdom with the Messiah. And this Messiah comes, rules as the king over his kingdom. He rules over it eternally, but it's a very glorious kingdom, right? Like it's somewhere we want to be. It's somewhere we want to be that like all the nations are coming to that kingdom. All people in their diversity, in their differences are coming there because it's this perfect reign. The great Old Testament word for this is shalom. There's this wholeness and there's this happiness in this kingdom. That's what Jesus' kingdom looks like. Isn't it glorious? Therefore, when the Messiah comes, he comes not only to save his people from their sins, But in that salvation, it actually serves as this ladder up, if you will, to this kingdom where there's this perfect rule and this establishment of his kingdom. So salvation by the Savior is a step toward the king ushering in the kingdom. Another way of saying this is when Jesus came as the Messiah saving his people from their sin, there was this understanding by everybody around him who knew the Old Testament that, okay, this means that not only he's the Messiah, he's the king and he's bringing in his kingdom. And listen, this might sound strange to us today, but there was probably as much anticipation of the kingdom as there was the king. Like they knew the brokenness of the world and their glorious hope for, the, for a glorious future was in this kingdom that, that the Messiah was going to usher in. Okay, 
Let me stop here for a moment and catch our breath and maybe summarize where we are. Again, the verse says that in verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So what's the kingdom? It's God's rule or it's God's reign. But, but then also, I want us to understand that this isn't some like verse taken out of context. Like this is thematic of the entire Bible. You see prophecy after prophecy after prophecy sharpening this picture to where we understand that this kingdom is coming and this king is ushering it in. Now I stop here for one reason. It's because I want to go a little bit deeper, okay? We're going to do a deeper dive here. So I want us to catch our breath here. When you talk about the kingdom, in many ways, it's very straightforward and understandable. But in other ways, the kingdom is super complicated, okay? So let me just give you maybe three principles to kind of think through, okay, how do you talk about the kingdom? The first one is, is a phrase. The phrase is already, not yet. And what I mean by that is in a very real sense, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is already here, but also in a very real sense, it's not yet here. And I think we have to think of the kingdom through that grid at all times, already and not yet. So if, if you think about it, uh, if we live our lives according to his ways and to his word, then we're going to experience the blessing of being with him, right? So there's an already aspect to the kingdom of God. Now, but we have to be really careful on that. And our, you know, those who advocate like a health, wealth, prosperity gospel, this is where they make a bad turn. And if you know me at all, you've been around here at all, you know we're not in that camp, okay? But, but there's a real sense that as we walk with the Lord, as we faithfully follow him, it doesn't mean our pipes are never going to burst. It doesn't mean we're not going to get COVID. But it does mean that we're going to be in the presence of the God and experiencing something better than wet floors and sickness. We're going to experience Jesus himself, okay? That's the already blessing of the kingdom. But we also know we live in a very broken world. Therefore, the, the glimpses that we get, the already glimpses that we get, really serve to point something better because only today is, is our, our uh, we, we see the brokenness over and over and over again. We're not yet in the kingdom. It's coming. When the king returns, he's going to make things right. He's going to make things good, and he's going to th make things new. The kingdom is a glorious future. Let me just give a couple of examples of what this looks like. And as I was working on this portion of the deal, I'm calling people and checking in on pipes and this and that, and uh, it was just... Uh, amazing to see glimpses of this this week. I mean, as we all know, and we've seen the stats, I mean, this is like a once-in-a-hundred-year storm that we've walked through, right? And we've gone through all this, you know, crazy stuff of, of losing electricity for hours and days, making very scary uh, situations, but, you know, with pipes bursting and all that. And so all of this week is a reminder of this ain't the kingdom. Like, it's a reminder of the brokenness of the world, right? And, and we can have debates on policies and all those things on which is the best approach to lead to human flourishing. That's fine. But this week reminded us of the brokenness of the world, that we're not there yet. However, uh, I have to brag on you a little bit. I was blown away by our church this week on how you loved each other. And, and this happened more than once, okay? More than once, I've called somebody, check in, how you doing? Hey, let me bring you lunch. More than once this week on that offer, it was like, man, so-and-so already just brought me a pizza. Or, uh, you know, th this buddy of my smart, she, she just committed to bring me lunch today. I'm sorry. Like, I was, I was excited to get to, like, help people, and you guys beat me to it. And, I mean, it was this awesome example of people living as citizens of the kingdom, you know, right here in our midst. That's what it looks like to live according to God's rule and to God's reign. However, do you remember how they described Narnia without Aslan? 
And I think this phrase has new meaning for us this week. Do you remember the, you remember the comment? That Narnia without Aslan is what? Always, always winter and never Christmas. That's what this week was kind of like, right? That's what this world is like when our king is not, when our king hasn't returned. It's always winter, but it's never Christmas. You see, when the King Jesus returns, the winter will have beautiful snow and Christmas, but there's not going to be power outages and pipes bursting. Kids will uh, be able to slide down snowy hills, but homes will have all the electricity and warmth they need. So again, clearly we're not there. Already not yet. The second thing I think that helps us kind of filter or understand the kingdom is that the kingdom is both spiritual and physical. So there's this progressive fulfillment of the prophecies in the Old Testament. And, and they help us see the, the not yet prophecies about the kingdom. And, and we see that there, there's going to be both a physical as well as a spiritual reality to these prophecies and these fulfillments. So the Bible links these inner spiritual conditions of our hearts with, with physical action. So when, people, uh, when people's hearts are sinful... What happens is, is they then have these outer acts or behaviors of sin, right? It starts from in, within spiritual, and then it goes out. And so when people's hearts on the flip are faithful, then these righteous acts come out of us. So when God sees his people's sinfulness, think about it in the Old Testament, and there's just a litany of examples, right? When the people of God in the Old Testament are sinful, not being faithful, God punishes them physically, right? Exiles, two of them, you know. Uh, there, there's all these physical realities that happen and consequences for that. But, but there's also uh, uh, these uh, spiritual realities that happen. So, so when we are faithful, even radically and counterintuitively faithful, think about it in the Old Testament, what happened? Like these amazing physical things happened. Like I wanted to name my son Hezekiah because Hezekiah was so faithful. These amazing things happened that just don't even make sense. But God just provided for them and cared for them in so many great ways. Kristen wouldn't go for Hezekiah. So uh, we, we landed on Mason. But you see that in the Old Testament. And so that's a clue that in these ultimate fulfillments that we see, the, these prophecies that we still have, that we aren't yet there, we see that, that listen, there's going to be these spiritual realities, but there's also going to be these physical uh, realities that come about. What a glorious future. Okay, third, let me, give you one, uh, let me give you one more. We aren't in the kingdom yet, and we can't usher it in through our own strength. Rather, it comes when the king returns. That's a, a, a simple and straightforward principle here when you talk about the kingdom. But if we're going to live as citizens of the kingdom, we have to do it in a wide-eyed way to where we understand that we're actually not going to be able to bring in the kingdom in our own human strength. We need the king to return in order to bring about his kingdom. I believe we're on this side of the millennial kingdom. Some of you, I hear your eyes rolling. Some of you got really excited on that statement. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. The millennial kingdom is kind of this subcategory, if you will, of, of kingdom theology. So if you go to uh, Revelation 20, it talks about this thousand-year or millennial kingdom, okay? I think, we, I think that hasn't happened yet. I think we're on this side of that. I think we're pre the thousand-year uh, kingdom that's mentioned there, okay? That means I'm a pre-millennialist, if you like these categories, okay? Now listen, I think if you could be an all-millennialist, and I, I'm going to make fun of you and pick on you, but I, I think you're square. You're all right. 
uh, you know, I think we can have some differences on these things, and, and that's okay. But this is where I land, okay? I understand this is a subcategory of talking about uh, kingdom theology, but, but here's my point. I, I think we're on this side of it. And so when I see those promises of that millennial kingdom, I think that that's something that is to come. And I think that that's a clue for us to understand that, listen, we can't bring this about in our own strength. We're waiting for the king to come. Now, that doesn't mean we don't try, we don't live according to the Beatitudes and live according to the Sermon of the Mount, but we do that in a realistic way. Like we have this this healthy relationship with this world. We understand we're to make it better. We're to live as citizens of the kingdom, not of this world. We understand that we can make it better, but we also don't put our hope in politicians and policies ultimately, right? That's always a failed experience. You can amen that. I find great comfort, I find great hope, I even find great joy in the fact that my hope is not in a politician or a policy, but on a king that is to return. Are you with me? I think we're on this side of it. And I think uh, uh, understanding uh, Revelation 20 in that way helps us understand it. The kingdom is God's glorious rule. It will be eternal, and and, and creation will be as God uh, wants it to be in a perfect, ultimate way. God is the one who ushers in the kingdom. He ushers it in when he returns. We can get glimpses and taste of the kingdom today, but ultimately, it's a future hope. So in those moments when I heard, man, somebody beat me to the punch on lunch for them, I just had a, a sly smile about it. I was super proud of it. It made me happy. But, but, but I understand that those are just tastes. Those are just tastes of something that is to come. This, we're talking about a glorious future. Well, our second question here, and we'll begin to move faster here, but what does he mean by at hand? The kingdom of God is at hand. How is the kingdom of God at hand? Now, if you've been around here, you know I use the ESV translation uh, of the Bible when I preach. ESV and NASB, they, they use this phrase, at hand. But if you use the CSB or the NIV, it, it says, come near. Obviously, those, those statements are synonymous, right? They, they mean the same thing. But what they mean is, is that uh, when uh, Jesus is making, uh, he, he's ushering in his kingdom, and it's imminent, It's about to happen. It's around the corner. He's bringing it in. Uh, It's coming soon. So we're to have an anticipation about his kingdom. We're to understand that he's the one bringing it in. It's coming soon, and our hope is in it. Again, going back to that already not yet uh, concept, we can experience taste of the kingdom today, uh, and we don't have to naively think we can fix all the world's problems, and we don't have to go through that dangerous, disappointing process of putting our hope in this world we understand that the king is going to bring it in. If, if you read any of these books in school, but um, uh, Huxley's uh, Brave New World or Orwell's 1984, th- those are not utopian stories, right? What are they? They're dystopian stories, right? That's actually what makes them a little more accurate, right? Th- that, th- that's the teaching that comes from those stories, right? Because we understand that any of these human attempts to bring about the kingdom like if our ultimate hope is in these human attempts, listen, it's going to go very bad at some point. Our hope is in the king returning. We have something better, and it's a king returning. And so we can uh, tap into the healthy reality now, but we have a genuine hope for the future that Jesus promises that it's coming, it's intimate, it's going to happen, he's bringing it about. But the real question of all this is how are we supposed to respond, right? How do we respond to all this? Look again at verse 15 with me. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus says that because he's ushering in the kingdom, because it's close, then we should 
turn or we should repent uh, in ways that, that we're not living as citizens of the kingdom. And that we should believe the good news of the kingdom and thus live according to the kingdom. So we should turn from something and turn towards something else. Repentance is about completely turning away from something. If you want a, a definition of what that means in the, of that biblical term. If the kingdom is what we're supposed to be returning to or turning to, then, then we understand that what he's getting at here is that the, the repentance, the thing that we're supposed to be turning away from, is this worldly living, right? So when we're living according to the world, not as citizens of the kingdom, if we're living just for the present or for this world, if we're just living for today or according to our fleshly desires, then we're not living as citizens of the kingdom. And that's what we're supposed to turn from. That's, that's what we're supposed to repent of. Now listen, we can, uh, we can share and be generous, trusting God with our future. Or we can live a different way. We can live according to God's rules. We can be humble knowing that God is sovereign and His approval is all we need. Or, or, or we can you know, do the opposite, right? Like we can uh, be unpopular and be happy with it, right? Like if we live as citizens of the kingdom, we're not going to be popular in the eyes of the world, right? We're going to be different. We're going to be odd. Yeah. There's hard things that come from that, but happiness comes from that, right? But like if we live just for likes on social media, that, that might feel good in the moment. That, that doesn't satisfy our soul. So we're to turn from the world's values, the, the things that the world says are important, the things that the world says will make you happy. We're to believe something different. We're to turn and live a different way. Well, b belief is about completely trusting in something, even when it might be scary or counterintuitive. Yeah. So another way of saying that is even when it doesn't make sense. Like even if it doesn't make sense, you're reading it there, you know, <laughs> you're reading it there in Mark 1. That doesn't make sense. Like, you know how the world works. It's very counterintuitive. But what are you going to believe in those moments? You see, if Jesus promises us a coming kingdom, and it's where we will find our eternal happiness, then we should trust him to the degree of living as a citizen of that kingdom. We're not there yet, but we're going to live differently here. Now, listen, some of us have had bitter taste of the world, right? Like maybe you were that young person just, you know, living according to your flesh and then you dealt with the consequences. You know, we, we've all had these experiences with the world. So like it's for some of us, and I think for most of it, it's pretty easy to turn away from the world. Like when you experience the bitterness and the hard things of the world, it's easy to turn away from it. I think it's much harder to turn towards Jesus, right? It's harder to turn towards his kingdom because you're having to give up so much control, you're having to, to, to give over things that you don't want to give, give over. You see, control is one of those deep corner of the heart realities and struggles that we have. Another way of saying this is uh, it's easier to understand complex theological ideas or advocate for a biblical ethic than it is to trust Jesus with everything. That was for me. Like, that's super convicting. Are you with me? Like, like it's so much easier to understand the ins and outs of millennial theology than it is to like actually just give everything over to him. I'm not saying you shouldn't understand the ins and outs of biblical theology, you should. Okay, but, but, but what I'm saying here is we can hold these positions, we can understand things with our heads, but then that be separate from how we live our lives. It's harder to believe him. It's harder to give everything over to him. Jesus is promising us the kingdom. Therefore, we should trust him and hope in his kingdom. And if we do, we will be completely transformed as a citizen of his kingdom. Jesus says, believe in the gospel in verse 15. 
What this teaching is and what this reality is, is it makes us sojourners in this world. We have to recognize this is not our home. We're living towards a different kingdom. Really what this means is is that we are to change to live for the kingdom today. That's the charge of this passage that I think Jesus is getting at. He's calling each and every one of us to change in some way. To, To change in such a way to where you live for the kingdom today. Mark 15 is this charge. And listen, I know it's not yet fully here, but Jesus is coming. When he comes and when he ushers in his kingdom, no trial we face in this place will compare to the glories that are to come. This was an interesting thought that I had in wrestling with this this week. These pipes bursting, all this, this is big in our lives right now. When Jesus comes and we're in his kingdom, it's going to be so glorious, we're not going to waste any time even remembering this week. Like that's how great it's going to be. And so we're to change in such a way to where we live for that. Are you living for here or for there? I I know it's easy to be overwhelmed by the worries of the world. Um, I know I find it very difficult uh, uh, to not be overcome by fear. So we live in these difficult days, and and I acknowledge the challenges of our day. However, when we're there in the kingdom, if we're living that way, uh, that we understand that it, that it is so glorious that we're not going to waste our time just being overcome by this world because our hope is in something else. In, in fact, the only eternal value or the, maybe the ultimate eternal value that I see from this week is that it points us to something better. So are you living for here or are you living for there? The second question I have for you to uh, begin seeing how this really gets into our lives is, are the truths about the kingdom bringing you joyous hope today? Like as we reflect upon these verses and these truths, does this give you hope and joy today? Again, my my prayer for this little series of what I think are doctrinal messages is to just pull our eyes up and out of our trials. I I know we're in it, but but just for about 35 minutes on Sunday, I just want to pull our eyes up and out of it to something more glorious. And the reason for that is, is because that's where joy is experienced. Like, Like when my mind is there, when I'm pondering those things, I'm happy. I'm happier there than worrying about my pipes. Now listen, I'm not saying don't worry about your pipes. Worry about them. But I'm just saying we need that reprieve. We need to be pulled up and out of this world. And, and that's what these doctrinal truths point us to. You see, it, I've, uh, I've been pretty overwhelmed at times during the pandemic. And even this last week uh, uh, during the freeze. I don't know if you've heard this phrase. Have you heard the phrase decision fatigue? Like that describes 2020 for me, okay? It was like pandemic, building, you know, it was just, you know, we got in the building and it was cool, but it was just like, it was another thing. You know, I mean, it was just, I experienced what, I, what I'm like, decision fatigue, that's it, okay? Like, like and, and I struggled with just being overwhelmed by that. But listen, in my better moments, okay, and that was maybe the minority of the time, but in my better moments, I was able to back up from the pressures of those things and say, listen, this is not all that there is. Like there's something outside of this, God's sovereign over this, like he's working good over this, he's bringing in his future kingdom. And when I was able to do that, I was able to have peace through the trials. That's, that's the point of these messages. That's the point of, of pondering these things is they need to lead to your joy and they need to lead to your hope here in the present. Third question I have for you is, are you tangibly living as a citizen of the kingdom? I, I think that's the most important question from this passage. Are you living as a citizen of the kingdom? Now, as you think about that in your own life, I think there's maybe some categories or some movement to that. First, it begins with viewing life through a gospel lens or having 
uh, the mind or the perspective of the gospel as you view even the trials in your life. Again, I, I know that I've, I struggle uh, and, and I tr- struggle with really uh, seeing a trial, not seeing it through the lens of the gospel, and really focusing, okay, how am I supposed to fix this problem? Okay, so I, I don't back up and always see it through the gospel. I focus on fixing it. So there's a problem there. But then I don't know if you've experienced this. Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes I actually fix the problem. Well, then what does that produce in your heart? Well, then that produced pride in my heart. And I look down on people who can't fix the problem the way I fix the problem. You just do it ABC and then you'll get there, right? So there's this trap that we experience. We're supposed to view all our trials to the gospel. So we can back up and say, okay, God's with me in this. This is going to work out. Let me just work my way through it. I work through it better. I have more peace through it. We need to have a gospel lens uh, in order to live as citizens of the kingdom. But that moves to the heart. Citizens of the kingdom uh, move kingdom thoughts to kingdom feelings. And that's how humans work, right? The way we perceive things, the way we think about things, the way we, what we believe about those things, that then moves down to our emotions, right? So when I'm in that trial and I'm trying to fix it and I'm overwhelmed by it, like, you know, you can ask those closest to me, namely my family. I kind of become a jerk in those moments, right? When I'm scared and I'm overwhelmed by it. Or, or again, when I fix it, I'm still kind of a jerk because then I'm prideful about it and I think I'm awesome because I fixed it. But, but see, it, it, when, when I have a kingdom perspective of this and I'm living as a citizen of the kingdom, like, like it, it softens my heart. And, and I'm able to walk through that trial, be in the middle of the trial, and yet be loving to those around me. Be soft and gracious on ways that people struggle. And maybe it's not my struggle, but I can still be empathetic with it. So it, it changes my feelings. I can have kingdom feelings, if you will. But finally, citizens of the kingdom need to display ultimately kingdom actions. You see, citizens of the kingdom are not consumed by advancing themselves. They're consumed by advancing others. You see, citizens of the kingdoms, uh, they help others in need and they love getting to do it. You see, citizens of the kingdom, they invest in eternal things. You see, citizens of the kingdom, they don't spend time with the debate. They just kind of quietly go along living as citizens of the kingdom and accomplish these glorious things. That's what it looks like. And again, uh, I, I could go on and on about stories of how you guys did that this week. Let me ask you one more question. If you're an unbeliever today, maybe you got dragged here by somebody. If you're an unbeliever today, listening to this message, isn't the, the message of the kingdom, that, that that's our future, that's what we're believing about the future, isn't that better than anything the world offers? I, I had about six examples, but this thing was always getting, already getting long. Let, let me just give you a, a, like a political example. I feel like I'm picking on politics a lot. I think politics are important and I'm into it, okay? I'm not devaluing it. But history is clear. Like, if you think about the spectrum of political ideas, fascism, communism, anarchy, are all those glorious stories of human flourishing? No, they're not, right? They're all these human attempts to bring about the kingdom themselves, and they're all like these terrible dystopian novels, right? You want to read the history of communism? Like, like this was not a good attempt. They used a lot of Old Testament verses, okay? But it did not turn out very well. They, they led to very dark places. You see, if you're an unbeliever today, can you really believe in what the world believes in to bring about a glorious future? Like, I, I just want to challenge you with that today. Like, think about it for a moment. Isn't the good news that, number one, God came down and gave us a taste of the kingdom? 
Number two, that he died on a cross to atone for your sins and thus giving believers in him citizenship in the kingdom. And then number three, that he died on, uh, I'm sorry, that, that he then promises to return setting up his kingdom. Isn't that a more glorious future than communism? Are, are you with me? Isn't that glorious? Isn't that a, a sign that, that what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is teaching and what Jesus is offering and what Jesus is promising is better than anything else the world has to offer? Friends, I'm, I'm just calling you to lift your eyes and your hearts up and out of the trials and see something that is better. And listen, if you're an unbeliever today, isn't that better than anything the world has to offer? Jesus is calling us to change. He's calling us to change and live as a citizen of the kingdom. This is how we pull our eyes up and out of the trials of the world. I, I don't know how the, uh, the Bible's vision of the kingdom and Jesus is called to be a citizen of the kingdom. I, I don't know how all that convicts you. But, but I know for me, I, listen, I've admitted my struggles of fear about the future. And, you know, planting Redeemer Church has been this like seven-year lab of how to deal with fear of the future, okay, for me. But, but I, don't, I don't know how this affects you, okay? But, but hear me, you are not going to be a perfect citizen. However, there isn't cancel culture in Jesus' kingdom. Amen? Like, listen... I'm calling you something to something high and glorious. And it's not me, it's Jesus. He's calling you to live as a citizen of the kingdom. And you're going to fail a lot at it. But this isn't a, a cancel culture reality. That when you say something wrong or do something wrong, you're out. Because the kingdom is better than that. You see, when you're not good enough or you're not strong enough, King Jesus is with you and he's for you. That's the good news of the kingdom. I'm calling you to change. I'm calling you to live as a citizen of the kingdom. But when you're not able to do it, the gospel gets even better news there, doesn't it? You see, when you fail, King Jesus teaches you how to confess and how to believe again. You see, in the, the kingdom, when you, when you blow it trying to live as a citizen of the kingdom, you find a forgiving Jesus waiting for you. The prodigal son, right? Like the Father is there with open arms. That's King Jesus. So when he, he calls you to this citizenship that is high and glorious and there's wonderful promises there, and then when you blow it, the, the good news of the gospel gets even better. Isn't the future, isn't your future grace glorious? Don't we have a glorious future in the kingdom? Amen? Amen. <laughs> I have a friend who's an alcoholic. And uh, when he was a young man, he landed his dream job and he was good at it. And, and he was advancing, doing very well. And, and one night, just a, a night after partying, he, he's driving home, he's driving home drunk. He gets in a wreck and he kills a girl. The, the guy's crushed. And, and, and all of that, you know, I know his whole family, they're crushed, they're broken, they're embarrassed, there's shame with that. I mean, can you imagine sitting in that jail cell? Jesus was with him in that jail cell. And in that jail cell, he owned his stuff. He repented of some things. He, he, he got right with Jesus first. He, he believed in Jesus' ways and in his word. He, he, he totally turned his life around in a different direction. <laughs> this is crazy. He, he later went to seminary, and then he became a pastor. Like, that's the kind of pastor you want. Like He knows a lot about God's grace, right? This guy's one of the best outreach pastors I've ever seen. 
So th- this guy later on, he's, he's working uh, in, a, in a really good church. He's their outreach pastor. So he's working with all the charities and all the nonprofits in his city. And, and he's trying to understand the problems in his city. And then, okay, how can I link our church to this? Not only just financially, but how can I understand, you know, volunteering and service as a discipleship category, and, you know, and taking the people of our church and then linking it to these uh, issues in our city. And they're being discipled. These people are being helped. And he was a great outreach pastor. He got really into uh, helping. Uh, uh, with the homeless in his city. And so he networked really well, got to know all the different leaders in his city, uh, and and they kind of uh, uh, developed this good relationship with each other where they shared ideas. And then by knowing each other through those networks, they kind of knew, okay, we're doing well here, but we're not doing very well here on how we minister to homeless people. And as that conversation went on, like they looked at homelessness and they said, listen, we're doing really well on like, you know, the, the emergency problems. And there's, there's great opportunities. If somebody needs like a bed for one night, we've got a good structure for that. We've got good charities for that. But we're not, we don't have like good ladders out of poverty or ladders out of homelessness. Like how do we do that? And so they all kind of looked at this outreach pastor and he threw out some ideas and, and they said, awesome, why don't you run with this? And so that, that's what happens in church. If you've got a good idea, give it to yourself because run with it, okay? That's what happens, right? Well, today what this guy does is he got this vision for discipling homeless people. He got some guys to, to donate some land. He got some churches to, to, uh, to come out and build these tiny houses. And, and then out on this land, there's just this collection of tiny houses where they're ministering to homeless people and they're there for a season. They kind of have these steps, you know, to where they're, they're moving out. And, and listen, I love getting his newsletter updates. And when I see uh, the pictures and hear the stories. I always think of that plot of land with all those little tiny houses. And I think that that's one of the most beautiful pictures of the kingdom of God here on earth. And, and listen, I'm not naive, okay? I, I know that there, that thing in reality, it looks good as a picture, but I know in reality that is a broken mess there, okay? I know that there's all sorts of problems there, but I also know my friend's heart. You see, that guy, he gave his life to Jesus. That guy believes in the vision of the kingdom. He believes in this promise of the kingdom to come. And that guy lives as a citizen of the kingdom. He, he can make more money doing something else. The, the people he helps are not always grateful, okay? But he's faithful and he's full of joy because he's living as a citizen of the kingdom of God. I came across a, 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 an old prayer from Anselm. If you don't know Anselm, is look him up. L- listen to this prayer, and we'll, we'll close with this. I pray thee, O oh my God, grant me to know thee, to love thee, to rejoice in thee. And if I cannot in this life do so to the full, at least let me advance day by day more and more until at last to that to, that to the full shall be mine. Here, let the knowledge of thee increase in me, that there it may be full. Here, let thy love grow in me, that there it may be full, that thus my joy here may be great in hope, so that there to be full, full in thee. Brothers and sisters, hope and joy in the coming kingdom to the degree that you live for the kingdom, not later, but today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we love you, and Lord, I, I thank you for this simple verse in Mark, this beautiful summary of of your ministry here on earth, just a snapshot of of what your sermons were like, preaching on the kingdom. Lord, we thank you for the glorious vision of the future kingdom. Our hope is there. 
Lord, may we be a people that live as a citizen of the kingdom to come. May we not believe the lies of the world, but may we be a people who trust in you, believing that your kingdom is better than this world, living in such a way that is weird and odd and different as citizens of the kingdom. And Lord, may we find great joy in doing it, namely in communing with you. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.